today on Ag News Daily. It preserves it in a situation where there are not tariffs or barriers. Uh, that free flow of, of product over a billion dollars a year. And gentlemen, Mike Pearson here for today's edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing? I am pretty good, Mike. How are you doing? Not too shabby, not too shabby at all. I tell you what, it is uh, another beautiful day above ground, which is always a win. Nice. Okay, then. Yeah, yeah. How about you? I guess the same. Wonderful. Wonderful. I tell you what, I've got one piece of news that I wanted to throw it to first because it just jumped out at me and I thought it was interesting. Um, China earlier today auctioned 10,000 metric tons of pork from their state reserves in order to uh, help accommodate some of the demand that's going to come for their National Day holidays, which uh, start October 1st. So they know that uh, pork prices continue to be a problem, but there's kind of a catch. You know, we've talked a lot about the spike in uh, Chinese pork and, well, food prices in general as the African swine fever has run through their herd. But... What is really driving the price is demand for fresh pork. What China has in their reserves is frozen pork, which consumers aren't as willing to get out there and buy unless they're at a restaurant or something like that. I had never realized that until I read this article by Reuters. Did you say, though, that they're auctioning it off? Yes. Yep, they auctioned it off earlier Hmm. today. To, like, a store? Do buyers, you know, I guess a lot of meat distributors will probably be the buyers. I'm not entirely sure how the the whole meat industry functions in China, Mm -hmm. but uh, they did say most of this was going to be headed to restaurants rather than local markets because a lot of people go out to eat for their national day holiday. Okay, that makes sense. And that so there's two different national holidays because there's one that starts then their New Year, but then October 1st. What holiday is that that starts? National Day. Oh, okay, and it's just one day. It's one day, but people celebrate all week, it sounds like. Okay, and then they start their Chinese New Lunar New Year or whatever, February-ish. Could be. So they'll be needing lots of pork, which is a good thing for U.S. agriculture because they seem to continue to be buying U.S. pork. A couple of updates there on that front, that trade front. There are high-level U.S. and Chinese agricultural trade officials that are planning to head to the U.S. next weekend. We're going to hear a little bit more about that from a couple of different secretaries of agriculture over the past administrations, but they are going to be doing on-farm visits, which I thought was kind of intriguing. A little curious why they're doing on-farm visits, but that is going to be part of their continued trade talks next week. You know, it's interesting you bring that up. So it was or three weeks, or maybe it's about a month ago, you know, time flies, but um, Chinese trade delegation went down to Argentina, and they visited a whole bunch of farms, as well as some meat processors, and then they announced earlier today, excuse me, on Monday, so this is a little late uh, getting out to us, but uh, China announced on Monday that they have now approved some of those meat processing plants for exports into China. So this is coming out of Argentina, um, and Argentinian uh, ranchers are very, very excited about this, and they're pushing to get more plants approved. But to me, this goes to show that we are still the second choice for Chinese trade, given all of the trade disruptions that have happened over this past year. China's you know, greenlighting more things from Argentina than they, than they have been from the U.S., Well, and it's curious to me, too. I've heard from quite a few, especially pork producers, that have said, you know, in the past they've had lots of foreign visitors from Asia, 
South America, et cetera, they said, you know, with especially the concern of biosecurity with ASF, they are mm-hmm. less and less apt to allow those kind of visitors onto their operations anymore. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting. And, you know, that's true not just of foreign visitors. That's true of American visitors. Mm-hmm. I had uh, reached out right. to a friend of mine. I just haven't been in a modern sow facility in quite a while. And I was traveling through an area where I knew a friend of mine has some sows in a barn. And I said, hey, you know, I'd, I'd love to come through, just take a look, see what the technology's like nowadays inside a modern uh, farrowing facility. And he said, Mike, we'd love to have you. We'd love to show you the whole farm. But he goes, you know, we're we're, we're not going to let you into the building due to biosecurity. Mm-hmm. Even- goes, we just we want to minimize the uh, anybody coming in who isn't essential. Really, not even you couldn't even shower in and shower out. Didn't appear to be an option. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think either that or, or they're very concerned about me as a person being diseased, <laughs> which you know I, I guess could be the case. Okay. I guess it could be the case. We don't know yeah. where you've been. Right. Right. Yeah. You, you know, exactly. Exactly. Well, let's see, Delaney, what other news do you have for us today? Well, we've been talking a lot about the spending bill that would avoid a government shutdown starting on October 1st, and a House staffgate spending bill has been passed, which would also ensure that trade assistance to farmers would continue. However, that seems to be like there are a few, I guess, catch-alls in mind, which are basically that the House have, has demanded to know, which I thought this information was already publicly made available, but they essentially demanded to know what foreign companies were receiving trade aid and how much, as well as the process of releasing the trade aid, the amount of trade aid being released, etc. So they really want to know the nitty gritty to allow the CCC funding to continue running under the new stop gap bill. Okay, and so we don't know yet if it will, but it looks like that's what they're pushing for. Is, did I hear that correctly? Yes. Gotcha. All right, well, you know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that because I know a lot of folks are waiting for their MFP checks. Absolutely, and, and Purdue does uh, mention some comments, I think, about that here li- just a little bit later on, too. Okay, perfect. I've just got one other piece of news. We had uh, President Trump meeting with oil state senators today to discuss the proposal to roll those exempted gallons of ethanol from the small refinery exemptions back into the RFS uh, total volume requirements. And because of that meeting, RINs, the uh, the biofuel credits were down sharply earlier today, down about 10% on the day, as folks anticipate that, you know, maybe this meeting will cause President Trump to change his mind and, uh, you know, perhaps not sign this ethanol package that uh, was talked about here two or three days ago. Yeah, it sounds like we should have some sort of idea, though, this afternoon. Purdue also um, kind of reaffirmed that in his comments that he made to reporters just earlier this afternoon. All right. Well, we will see you once this meeting comes out what, uh, what, if anything, ends up happening. Absolutely. Well, I just have one other quick piece of news as well, and it's a little bit less maybe pertinent to some of our listeners as opposed to trade a little more closer to home, and that is looking at the way that you will be able to basically do your cash sales and your accounting and your books. Uh, There are quite a few farm groups, including the American Farm Bureau Federation, that have been fighting with the RFS about a decision that they say could prevent lots of farms organized as official LLCs, S-Corps, and trusts 
from continuing to use the cash accounting system. The IRS is saying that they'd like to get rid of that system, but quite a few farm groups are saying that they would not like to see this enforced because it really, as they say, quote, places a cloud over thousands of legitimate agricultural businesses and threatens the livelihoods of American farm and ranch families. They say mm. there is about 65% of ownership that use the cash accounting system and mm -hmm. would absolutely affect a lot of those businesses in the way that they are able to run their farm operations. All right. All right. Well, yeah, yeah, that would be a huge change for a lot of growers who have been using cash accounting for a hundred years. Right, exactly. And so really they said the meat and potatoes of why this matters, not because, not just because there's so many people that use it, it's because of the method itself, because farm revenue is taxable only when the farm actually received the money and expenses are counted when they are paid, not when the expense was incurred. So it basically allows farmers to move some of that money around a little bit more. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Move can sometimes shuttle it from year to year if needed. Well, I just have one other piece of news, and this is coming from the USDA. They have announced $12 million in funding to improve public facilities. So this is coming from the USDA Rural Housing Service, um, and basically they're saying that they are going to spend this $12 million in grants in uh, rural communities in 17 different states. Uh, the states are Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Iowa, Kentucky, Maine, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, New York, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, South Dakota, Tennessee, Virginia, and Washington. So as an example, some of this money has gone to a youth center in Tennessee, um, basically a group that does food security things that helped out with their leases and um, so anyway, if you are a nonprofit or a government organization in any of those uh, uh, 17 states, check this out. This uh, could be a source of funds for you here after a, a tough year for agriculture. Absolutely. Well, Mike, that is all the news I had for today. Why don't you hop over and read us through today's closes? Let's do it. And in the markets, we had December corn up one and a half cents at three seventy-two and three quarters. The March contract also up one and a quarter, finished the day at three eighty-four even. Soybeans November up four and a quarter cents at four ninety-three even. The January contract up three and three quarters to finish at nine oh six even. And in Chicago wheat, the December was down one and a quarter. Excuse me, one and a half cents at four eighty-eight even. The March down one and a half as well, finished the day at four ninety-four and a quarter. Jumping over to the world of livestock. We've got uh, slight losses here in live cattle, slight gains in feeder cattle, and mixed trade in the hog markets. In live cattle, the October contract was down 57.5 cents at 99.80. December down 32.50 to finish the day at 105.82.50. And in feeders, the, the October contract up 52.5 cents, closed at 138.92.50. The November up 95 cents, finished at 137.25. And in lean hogs, that October contract was down $1.52.50 at 61.40. The December contract interestingly touched limit up earlier today, ended up only finishing 15 cents higher, closing at 97, excuse me, whoa, closing at 67.95. Jumping over to the world of dairy in class three milk today, we've got the September contract unchanged at 18.25, with the October continuing yesterday's sell-off down 22 cents, finished at 18.51.
Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I'm Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast found on the Global Ag Network. Just as the corn plant tells a story, so do the parts of an engine or machine. By reading the components, a wealth of information can be gleaned and a costly failure in both time and money can often be avoided. When you are working on something, you need to pay attention to every detail. Once you train yourself, it will become second nature. Examination of parts can be feeling with your fingers, studying them up close, or even smelling them. You will be amazed how much you could determine by simply running your finger over a surface, into a port, or on a tapered roller bearing. Threading a bolt in and then using a hand instead of an air tool will determine thread integrity and cleanliness. If you do use an air tool, then listen to its sound and acknowledge when it changes as an indicator of a difference. Do not just keep the trigger pulled and let it work through the spot. The following are areas I like to pay particular attention to. If the tailpipe is especially sooty or carboned up, the engine is running rich or misfiring. Are there any signs of oil? I take a clean rag with no odor on it and place it to the exhaust of a running engine for a few seconds and then smell it. You can often detect an internal coolant leak, excessive oil consumption without any signs of visible smoke or a rich condition. If the gasket comes off in one piece or nearly so, look for even compression and marks from the outer mating surfaces. Examine the part surface for an even imprint of the gasket. This will determine if there is excessive variation in the surface that does not allow for the prescribed compression. Stains or signs of varnish around the float bowl or any other part of a carburetor indicates a potential leak. An excessive amount of field dust indicates moisture coming from either an injection pump or a nozzle. Take a sample of a fluid from the dipstick and rub it between your fingers. Study it for particles and then check the smell. When it comes to bearings, slowly turning them by hand, feeling for roughness or tight spots is very important. Applying this logic will keep your farm running smoothly and will avoid profit-robbing breakdowns. Without further ado, let's kick it over to several former and current Secretaries of Agriculture to discuss uh, trade. It's... uh very important to me that we all have joined forces to uh, really to announce unanimous support of the trade deal. These folks here and I and the others who signed the letter know how important uh, trade is to our farmers. We built a, a very productive uh, environment in the United States by virtue of technology and genetics and many other things. And uh, our farmers are so productive that uh, they have built a supply chain that's really dependent upon um, moving product offshore. And uh, we know that that means fair and open access to markets, especially when it comes to our neighbors and trading partners to the north and the south in Mexico and Canada. And USMCA does just that. The agreement improves the standing of the entire American economy, including the agricultural sector. I know there was quite a gasp when many of us heard the president was considering withdrawing from NAFTA. And to his credit, he relented on that, indicating he'd get a better deal. And I believe he has done exactly that with, uh, with the UMCA agreement. Makes important specific changes that are beneficial to our agricultural producers. 
and we've secured greater access across and access to the Mexican and Canadian markets and lowered barriers for many of our products. That is important. Eliminates uh, Canada's unfair class uh, six and seven milk pricing schemes. I know that's important to you, Secretary Vilsack. <laughs> it opens additional access into U.S. dairy into Canada and imposes new disciplines on Canada's supply management system. Preserves and expands critical access for U.S. poultry and egg producers as well. And addresses Canada's uh, discriminatory wheat grading system that help U.S. wheat growers it helps U.S. wheat growers along our northern plains become more competitive. So as evidenced by today's announcement, uh, I think you can see that support for USMCA crosses political boundaries. In fact, every former Secretary of Agriculture since the Reagan administration has uh, endorsed and sent a letter to the uh, four corners of Congress to indicate that. And I'm proud to stand side by side with uh, these men today from former agricultural secretaries who agree that USMCA is good news for American farmers. So, again, I want to thank Secretary Vilsack, who will follow me, Secretary Glickman, and Secretary Block for being here, and for all the former secretaries for penning this important letter to congressional leadership. I want to thank you fellows for your strong support of USMCA, and I'd like to now invite Secretary Vilsack for comments. Thank you, Secretary. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to return to USDA. This is my first uh, trip back uh, since uh, since I left as Secretary. And it certainly makes sense that I'm here today uh, at the Secretary's in invitation. I think if there is any one issue upon which all Secretaries of Agriculture can agree, it's the importance to American agriculture of trade. Thirty percent of what's grown, raised, harvested this year and every year uh, from Americans, farmers, ranchers, and producers ultimately ends up in an export market. Not only does it help support farm income, but it also helps to support a number of good-paying jobs. Export-related jobs are often higher-paying jobs uh, than jobs that are not necessarily connected to, to exports. I'm here today uh, to join with the former secretaries to urge Congress uh, to pass the MCA to, to ratify the USMCA. Now, I can give you a number of reasons uh, from a dairy perspective as to why this is a good agreement. Uh, Secretary Purdue has mentioned one of them, uh, which is the elimination of Class 6 and Class 7. Uh, this is a pricing system and scheme that was established by the Canadians uh, to deal with an oversupply of powder that they had as a result of uh, the world consuming a great deal more butter. Uh, instead of dealing with this problem within their own supply management system, they decided to export the problem to the rest of the world. And they created this discriminatory pricing system. This agreement will eliminate Class 7, and hopefully as implemented, it will replace it with a system that, it, that prohibits or restricts the amount of exports from Canada. This has certainly caused our uh, dairy producers uh, a, a lot of heartburn because it's lowered the price of powder and product that they make. Uh, so that is a, a positive. It's also a positive agreement because it preserves our number one dairy market, uh, Mexico. It preserves it in a situation where there are not tariffs or barriers. Uh, that free flow of, of product over a billion dollars a year uh, heading south uh, is, is certainly incredibly important. About 30% of all U.S. dairy exports go to, Me go to Mexico. About 75% of all their imports come from the U.S. Uh, so it's an opportunity for us to maintain and continue that strong market. Uh, there's also a side agreement that's part of the USMCA with Mexico that is also important to the dairy industry. Uh, it essentially provides for uh, a, a listing of, of commonly used cheese names. 
So our friends in Europe are not in a position to monopolize those cheese names and therefore, thereby get a, an advantage in the marketplace. So for U.S. dairy, uh, we know from the ITC report that this is a, a, a about $300 million of additional business opportunity that can be created through the ratification and implementation of USMCA. I think at the end, and I'll conclude with this, I think there are essentially two questions uh, that need to be asked. One is, is this agreement enforceable? And I think there's a good faith effort being done by the administration and Congress to make sure and to reassure people that this is an enforceable agreement. And then secondly, is this a better deal than the current deal? And I think under any evaluation from a U.S. agricultural perspective, it clearly is a better deal. Secretary Block. We've got trade conflicts and arguments with countries all over the world, uh, not to mention especially with China, but with our two neighbors, with Canada and Mexico, we need to get this agreement approved. And that's what this is all about. It's uh, get the secretaries of agriculture, both parties, are standing shoulder to shoulder saying to the Congress, Go ahead and pass this legislation, because that's the first step. That's the first step. Get that done. And then then maybe we'll have some momentum to move forward on this trade agreement with Japan. Maybe, I mean, I can hope and wish, maybe momentum to move ahead with China and start wrapping out these deals, which are good for agriculture. You heard... Um, all of the points that need to be made from the other secretaries. But I'm going to go back to the farm this next week. We're going to try to start harvesting corn. It's just about time, although it was a late season getting it planted. And we'll see how that goes. But we need good trade agreements to expand our trade and, you know, get... NAFTA was good, but this is much better. USMCA is better, and we all know it's better. It's better for the farmers, and as you point out, uh, it's also better for labor. It's better for business. It, it's a great agreement. Get it done, and then move on to the next. CNBC is reporting that uh, a Chinese delegation will go and visit farms um, next week. What uh, crop pur purchases have they expressed they will support, and when might we see these purchases, which the president announced would, would happen in June? Sure, I think that's really up to China. Obviously, we know that their uh, uh, pork herd has been decimated by African swine fever, and they are in the market really aggressively with pork, uh, swine, and uh, soybeans at this time. We hope that goes over to other issues, and we've talked with them. They know our... They know our shopping list, and we hope they come and uh, are prepared. We're glad that the conversations are continuing, and we hope that they will uh, be fruitful. Are you anticipating that the Chinese agriculture minister will announce some purchases next week? We don't know that. Uh, again, we're always hopeful. We had some when uh, Vice Premier uh, Leah Ho was here in the spring. They uh, noticed that. They're just now fulfilling some of that. So... Uh, we're always hopeful, but there's really more than just purchases here. There, there are structural reforms that the Chinese know that we have to have over non-tariff issues as well. And uh, we hope that uh, these purchases or agreements or these talks this coming week can lead fruitful and give momentum, as was said, into further discussions of a trade resolution. 
Just to follow up on our colleague from CNBC's question, um, what do you, well, first off, this Chinese delegation visiting American farms next week, um, can you tell us more about what they'll be doing and what you make of them choosing to do this at this point, what it signals to you? Well, I think you have to understand the role of the Secretary of Agriculture versus USTR. In, in these trade negotiations, Ambassador Lighthizer and Secretary Mnuchin are our lead negotiators. They will be visiting with them, and uh, I think they want to see the production of agriculture. I think they want to uh, – I think they're trying to build goodwill, and we welcome that. So uh, uh, specifically where they will go and what they uh, will do is not, uh, not cleared through us, not uh, – they ask us for our recommendations sometimes, but uh, they're perfectly able to uh, care for that themselves. On uh, Mexico, are, are we losing sales right now because Europe has a trade agreement with Mexico and has that geographical indicator language on, uh, on dairy products? Uh, is that affecting sales to Mexico at the moment? Uh, we've been able to maintain uh, pretty much the percentages of, of sales. Uh, the export market generally is down a, a bit globally. In Mexico, but we've been able to maintain our market share. Where we have seen uh, the impact of us not having a free trade agreement and our competitors having a free trade agreement is in Japan, which is why we're anxious and interested and hopeful uh, that we see, uh, as has been indicated, some movement there. Uh, that would be very, very helpful. Uh, but our, our Mexican market is still uh, is still in good shape. The challenge, though, is that if we if we don't get this agreement through. We will still face a very closed market in Canada, and this agreement opens it up a bit. And as I said earlier, and as the Secretary Purdue said, it eliminates Class 6 and 7, which is really important for dairy. So can you tell us uh, what's the latest on the um, agreement of biofuels? Um, the ethanol industry seems to be very eager to put it down to writing, but that, does, that hasn't materialized yet, and there is an oil, um, oil state senator meeting at the White House today. Yeah. What is your expectation of like a time frame? When is that going to be in, in writing and what aspects are going to be in there? Thank you. Well, I think uh, from the president and myself sooner rather than later, obviously he and I probably have spent more time on this one issue than almost anything else. And I know he's ready to get a decision to move forward. We hope that can happen uh, as of this afternoon and, uh, and move forward. Now, that's not a commitment. It's not my decision to make. The president will hear from the uh, senators in the, that are concerned about the petroleum industry, but I think he has uh, understood that there's the balance there, and we hope to achieve that balance for both. It's a very thin, uh, thin bridge, but I think the president is uh, is doing the best he can in trying to navigate uh, the benefits for both industries. Secretary Purdue, you mentioned because you asked uh, for evidence of Trump's you know, commitment to farmers. The $16 billion that's been promised in, or made available in trade assistance for 2019 crops and livestock. This morning at the House Agriculture Committee hearing, there were people who said, you know, MFP has not been, has not made up for the impact of the trade war. And this is where I'm going to make Secretary Vilsack squirm because people mentioned the first go around with MFP, dairy got $200 million when it's estimated the losses from trade from retaliatory tariffs were $2.3 billion. This gives back to the question, is the, is the aid the administration's pr providing sufficient to the damage that's being done? And 
as a second question because I always love time of day. When will you decide whether to release the second tranche? Uh, I think I would probably, to answer your question sufficiently, I would point you to the farm income survey that we just released, I think, two weeks ago. I think you'll see that farm income is up uh, based primarily on uh, transfer payments uh, accumulated both uh, from a crop insurance perspective of uh, the regular safety net as well as the MFP payment. So I would say that answers the question best. But the, the real point is it was never made or insinuated that this would make people whole. You heard from the very beginning that farmers, their production system, they'd rather have grow crops and they'd rather trade them and sell them than have a government check. Now, and that just creates a psychological deficiency there because you'd rather grow and sell and, and move forward. But they also know that the president has called out China uh, legitimately over some things that have gone on for years that need to be corrected. Farmers are long-term planners, and that's why they've been uh, understanding of this issue for the most part. But to find somebody that says, oh, I've been made whole, first of all, that wasn't an intention. It was to get people through this period of time, help them to survive, and I think our farm income study shows that that has been accomplished. In addition to trading partners, the U.S. needs all the allies we can get right now. From a geopolitical sense, Canada and Mexico are extremely important partners of the United States in a, in a really volatile world that we live in. So not only is this the right thing to do for farmers and the right thing to do for workers and American food industry, but it's the right thing to do for America in terms of having a strong role in the world as well. Final word. My final word is get it passed. <laughs> Well, again, an interesting, I guess you could call it a discussion, but uh, really interesting or neat to see all of those secretaries coming together to really push Congress to get moving on this USMCA agreement in particular. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think it'd be nice to see some movement. I think, you know, the only parties really holding it up are the, the Democrats here in the U.S. Most of, most of the Canadian Parliament seems to be on board, as well as the uh, the Mexican government. So... You know, we'll see if this thing can actually get across the finish line before too much longer. Absolutely. But folks, if you would like to stay in tune with the news that's going on, or you just want to interact with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, go ahead and hit follow at Ag News Daily to keep up to date, or you can check out our network website, globalagnetwork.com. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Well, let's let them go. Let's let them go.